You are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and corporate media. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein, The Good One. Today we're talking with father and Medicare for All activist Scott DeNoyer, whose 29-year-old son was left to die by the for-profit health insurance industry, an industry that only has this ability because our government allows them to. Our government could easily provide free health care for all its citizens, but instead they choose to take money from the monsters and look the other way while the monsters prey upon us. Before we get started, Scott wanted me to make the following clear. Tulsi Gabbard is supporting a version of Medicare for All, specifically H.R. 676, that does not eliminate the private insurance industry to the extent of Bernie Sanders and Pramila Jayapal's latest bill. Tulsi has also said some things on the campaign trail that are supportive of the private insurance industry. Although this is concerning, it does not rise to nearly the level of some other people as we discuss in this interview. We would still both be proud to vote for her. Scott, thank you for coming on the show. It's nice to meet you. Hi. It's nice to meet you as well, Jeff. Thank you for having me on. Those out there, listen to Jordan Charrington's interview on Status Coup with Scott. Uh, it's really well done, and it goes very in-depth. Um, but for now, Scott, can you briefly introduce yourself and then please tell the story of your son? Absolutely. Yeah, my name is Scott Denoyer. I'm a 50-year-old man who has almost nothing to my name. Not complaining about that, never have. I mean, I worked really hard, you know, 70 hours a week, so I had a heart attack. Put me in a situation that I'm in, and I lived with it, and I accepted it because it's a system that we have, and that's what you do. Fine. My son, when he was really young, five years old, my wife and I had domestic problems split apart. I took custody of Danny when he was five, and his sister was three and a half. I raised them when there was no such thing as a single father of children. Unless you were, you know, widowed by your wife, you weren't a single father. It raised a stronger connection between me and my children because it was always the three of us. Up until we met his mother, well, stepmother, Anna, which is, she, she was so there for him all the time. Two days before the tragedy, he sent, him the most, sent her the most heartwarming message you could ever seen about how she's always there for him. Growing up, always playing, always goofing off. Nobody understands how important the goofing off was. It wasn't about him just goofing off. It was about him making everybody around him smile. All the time, he had to make everyone smile. One of my favorite stories of him, he was really young. I found out that he had red pollen all over his hands, and I didn't know what it was. I literally caught him red-handed. His sister comes walking up with a huge smile on her face, the pollen all over her face. He was feeding her flowers. <laughs> you know? So. How old was he at the time? Oh, he was six. Okay. <laughs> He was well aware of what he was doing. <laughs> but as he got older, you know, he, he's still all playing. There's this video that Anna will not allow out in public 
but with her wrestling, and he licks her in the face. <laughs> Just to show that he could do it to her now, and she couldn't boss him around because they were always roughhousing. As he got older, around 16, he started, you know, having teenage problems, rebelling. And at that point, he went to go live with his mom. He'd already started rebelling before he went there. I don't blame her for his turn in that direction. He experimented with drugs that I was totally lying to at the time. I knew he was drinking, but I didn't know about all drug usage. We had come across some problems that we had to move away. And I told him if he didn't stop drugs, he couldn't come with us. Doing this hard love thing. Well, he went into rehab. And I didn't find out he was going into rehab until after he was already committed. I was that blind to the problem then. I'm not blind anymore. When this all started, about a month before he came to me, and he's like, Pop, I need help. He told me he was having domestic problems. He had two different custody cases that he was fighting at the same time. One, he was guaranteed to lose, and he had accepted it, not that he was okay with it. That was the morning he was supposed to go to court that he actually did this. And he told me, he's like, Dad, I'm not going to court to have some judge tell me I can never see my son again. Daniel is five right now, his son. So we had already anticipated that he was going to go to work that morning. Now, I will go back a little bit further. Two weeks after he came in and moved, he had moved in with me, telling me he has problems. And he goes to get his refill, medication refilled for three milligrams of Speridone, an antipsychotic. Every medical journal will tell you, if you suddenly stop this type of medication, the chemical imbalances starts within two weeks. Two weeks is about when your suicidal tendencies happen to happen after stopping this medication. Two weeks from him stopping this medication when this happened. He found out that he missed a $20 payment to Fidelis Care, the essential plan program. And he told me he went to get his medication refilled and his insurance was canceled. He said, Pops, I don't even know about this. I didn't know about this. So he didn't know about the $20 is what he told me. I don't know. I'm not allowed access to their medical bills. I received a bill saying that he had signed up for it. It was going to cost $20. If he didn't make the payment, it was going to be canceled. This he got from his other address before he had moved that he wasn't allowed to communicate with because there was domestic problems. His phone had been shut off because he had lost his job because of all this going on. So you're saying, it, you're, you're saying that it was impossible for him to receive the notice because it went to where he doesn't live and he's not even allowed to go. Right. You know, which is the case with so many people that have domestic problems. I mean, this happens. And I'm not saying that my son was an angel. I've never claimed that he, right, he had problems. There were mostly medical problems that gave other problems. However... And I'm not blaming the mothers for their custody cases. I understand the whole scenario. However, the insurance companies know that if you stop a medication, there's a percentage of people that are going to die. 
my son was one of those percentages. And he's not just a percentage to me. He's not just a percentage to his children. This was done on purpose to save the insurance complex money. So he went to get his medication refilled. He was told no. He didn't know about the payment. He couldn't have gotten the notices. And he told me that day, he's like, Pops, I know I need this medicine. And he'd seen the signs escalating. We, he had, that Sunday before this, he was supposed to have two different dates that he was going on, and he canceled both of them. One, he'd been planning for the entire month he was living with me. I heard nothing except for this girl that was coming up to visit him. And the night, two nights before he does this, he canceled. He knew there was problems. I told my son, my other son, Aiden, I'm like, it's terrible. You see a train wreck coming right in before you, you know there's not a damn thing you could do to stop it. Those were my exact words two days before he did this. He did everything as a family that we're supposed to. We let him know that we're here for him. We asked him if he needed to go be seen by somebody or get checked in. We did everything we were supposed to do. He did everything we were supposed to do. These chemical imbalances are in your brain. They make you think there's no hope. He was missing his children. I know that pain. And if there wasn't some way that I could fight and control it, how do I know I wouldn't be where he was? This is the biggest pain I've ever felt in my life. On the day he did this, I'm, I'm sitting in my kitchen talking with my family, and I look on my Facebook, 36 seconds had passed since my son posted this, that message. But he said that he had enough of this life. He said that he super glued his seatbelt shut. He double-checked to make sure he wasn't strong enough to get it used. And he chose death by drowning. A lot of people, I, I'm not totally sure of this, this date, but I've been told that my father died on April 9th as well, drowning in Lake George. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. And it wasn't actually a drowning as much as a suffocation because he was in the polar bear club. I guess he suffocated uh, on. Okay. Okay. I I didn't understand one thing that you said. Can you, you said something like there was a Facebook post and I don't understand how the Facebook post, the timing of the Facebook post related to the suicide. You said something like 37 seconds before. Can you clarify it was, it was 30 that? 30 seconds into his post. I saw it 36 seconds after he posted it. So okay. and it was like, as soon as he posted it, I saw it. And because I saw it, I saw the view of the water from his truck. I live seven minutes from Saratoga Lake. Wait a minute. You're, you're, saying, you're saying he put a suicide note on Facebook and you saw it like seconds before he actually did it? Yes. And what was this picture? Describe, describe. He took a picture... Of the lake of from the, the water inside. from the inside of his truck. Right before he drove, that's what you're saying. Yes. And I Whoa. assumed it was at the lake. And I jumped in the car hoping I could get down to the lake to save him. Oh. I I figured if I could find where he went in, I could find him. Oh my gosh. And I wasn't I wasn't at the right place. He went into Mohawk River, not Saratoga Lake, but I, being that we lived seven minutes in the lake, of course, that's right. So he was. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty awful. And I drove around for probably a good half hour, and I realized I had five pounds of it be too late anyway. 
So then I had to come back home. And it was two days after this, I was just sitting in my kitchen, pissed off at the whole world. And I just tweeted out my feelings to 35 users. Within a couple of weeks, it had been retweeted 37,000 times. You posted it on, I guess, the day he died or soon after. How long after that did it turn that it exploded? It was, I was going to go to Walmart because my wife needed new clothes for the funeral. And it was only a couple of days, like two days after that I tweeted. And actually, my tweet went out on April 13th. And what, and uh, let me see if I can find the original tweet. Twitter deleted the original one, but I've got a copy of it. Yeah, the, the, the original tweet was, last month my 29-year-old son tried to get his prescription filled for suppression. He learned, to miss, learned he missed a $20 new charge, and he had to wait a month for his plan to kick back in. He's dead now from suicide. $20 fucking dollars. I am devastated and can hardly breathe. WTF, which, what the fuck? Okay. Within two weeks, Representative Ro Canna was already on the House of Representatives delivering Danny's story for me. Um, it started off, I had, I've become active since 2015 with Bernie Sanders entering the race. Before that, I wasn't even aware that we had, you know, that there were universal health care systems that were all over the world and that we struggle when we break a finger to get treatment. You know, I wasn't aware of that until Bernie Sanders started. I have really poor health. Again, I know I put the health issue on myself by working my ass off the way I did, and I realized I did that because of the system we had. But I accepted that system. I worked that system, and I put myself in the health situation I was in. I was pissed about it when I heard about it from Bernie, and I decided to become politically active. Registered to vote for my first time in 47 years then. Got on the phone and phone bank for Bernie. Very disappointed is what I saw what the DNC did. And it was hard for me to speak up any politics after that when everybody would just laugh at me in my circle. And I was pretty much feeling defeated. I was still going to vote, but I wasn't going to get politically active again. I wasn't going to phone bank. I wasn't going to do anything except for just fill my vote. But when this happened... I can't not do anything. There are systems that are better. There are systems... If Bernie had been president, I truly believe my son would still be alive today. I'd be unknown and I'd be cool with that. The whole lineup came to, I think, when Johnny Exam, which um, he's been a godsend for me. Um, I noticed it. He's great. I actually know him. Yeah, he's um, a mutual friend, I believe. Yeah. And um, he got a hold of SEMA, which was running for Congress in Texas, which happened to be friends with Ro Canna. Mm. And Ro right away responded and reached out to me. So that is uh, pretty much the chain of events that brought the tweet to where it, as big as it got. Wow. First of all, the tweet is gone, and you didn't delete it. And it doesn't even have the word Fidelis in it. So, like, it, my thinking was that if it had the word Fidelis in it, then maybe they were like, you know, this is embarrassing, please delete it for us. But, but what in the world 
happened to your tweet. You didn't delete it. No, I did kind of, um, I was very aggressive, and I don't understand a lot about Twitter. I'm still playing catch-up. Uh, I knew, though, that if you had gotten a lot of likes and you got in soon enough that your tweet rises to the top of that other tweets and other people will see a tweet back on top of another one. So anytime any news station tweeted anything, I would piggyback their tweets. I believe that's called spanning. And that uh, could be the reason for the deletion. Uh, <laughs> that sucks. I wonder if Fidelis took advantage of that. All right. I, I imagine right. they did because I can't imagine many people, you know, putting a complaint about a father fighting for his son. Ah, uh, interesting. Okay. Okay. So the other thing about your tweet, you heard a lot of stories of people saying, I can't believe this. This is what happened to me for this very same horrible reason. And I was, I would, I would like to hear a few of those stories that most stuck out to you. And I obviously Amy Valella is going to be one, but we're going to hold off on Amy Valella because there's another completely different subject that we're going to end with that involves her. Um, but can you tell us, can you please share some of the stories that stick out to you in reaction to your viral tweet? Absolutely. One, the first one that really struck me, there's a girl, she, she's a young single mom. Well, she was a young single mom. She had a immune disease that she gave to her daughter. It was treatable and her insurance wouldn't cover it because it was a pre-existing condition. Her daughter died at the age of two. Her daughter's name was Abby. This woman lives with guilt and depression every day and has contemplated suicide herself because she gave her daughter a disease that killed her, a disease that was totally treatable, but because it was pre-existing, it wouldn't be covered. There's a boy that was just turned just turned 24, had a history of depression, and his father, he was going to be kicked off his father's insurance at the age of 24. He had type 1 diabetes. He was terrified to death of the insulin, running out of insulin, when he turned 24. Parents kept calling to check on him, and he was found hanging in his room because of his fear of running out of the insulin. Just an hour away. Three years ago, these, these cases aren't just limited to Ganny's. This is right here in my own backyard a few years ago. They're all people we know. They're all somebody's children, somebody's brother, somebody's parent. You know, it, it's not just one here and there. There's, like I said, there's thousands, thousands on mine. The Medicare for All people that I said helped uh, get my story Notice they have a viral tweet on their um, Twitter account where she asked, what activated you? Thousands of responses to that tweet. I post that one often. Anybody who thinks this is just Danny, no, not just Danny. Anybody who thinks it's extenuating circumstances, there's always extenuating circumstances. That's why they're allowed to get away with it. Because, oh, no, it's not an insurance issue. It's a health care issue. It's an it's a insulin issue. It's a pharmaceutical issue. It's this. It's, it's everything. Did you see the one this morning about Noah in uh, California 
He no. has he's, Noah had he's a three year old in California, needs a heart surgery. Except for the fact that where he applied the hospital's coverage is not in network. He has Blue Cross, one of the most famous insurers in the world. And this three year old is if he doesn't get this hard heart surgery is sentenced to die. But it's out of network. They don't work with that that hospital. So Noah has a chance of dying now because they have to find somebody who might be in network. There's another lady who's uh, telling me that uh, her son almost committed suicide over, over the same exact thing with the insulin. There are three stories I've seen as far as people under the age of 24 who have died because of rationing insulin. At Danny's funeral, there was a man who told me he was using dog insulin because he can get that cheaper and over-the-counter, and it's almost the same as human insulin. Wow. And three weeks ago, there was a man who died from rationing, rationing his insulin and using the over-the-counter instead of one prescribed for type 1 diabetes. His girlfriend was concerned about him. He was spending overnight in a um, dog kennel. He was working for the dog kennel, and to make extra money, he could do overnights. Well, his girlfriend started calling him, and... When he didn't answer, she raced over there and found him in a stroke on the floor, brain dead already. Because he had gone into, he had had strokes because of the insulin. Jeez, okay, wow. Yeah, lots and lots and lots of stories. Yeah, it's just like, I want to hear the stories, but it's just like, horrible, 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 different flavor of horrible, horrible, horrible. It's just like, oh. Okay. And these stories go unheard by the mass media. I, I mean, yes, I understand where CNN might be mad that I spam their couple of their pages, but they don't tell these stories. You don't hear these stories on the mass media because it's bad for the insurance companies that pay their advertising. How, how can they... I'm a simple, poor man in rural America with nothing, and I've reached two state senators and four House representatives and have a viral video and nothing, nothing. They have nothing to say about it. Um, two of their reporters between MSNBC and CNN have commented or retweeted. Another one of their journalists was investigating. And then two weeks into the investigation, she told me that she was laid off by CNN, her and her whole crew, and nothing sent. Investigating what? Uh, Danny's story. And so like Fidelis, looking into Fidelis? Which is the, I should say, is that's the insurance right. company. Right. Mean, not, not charging the company, but she was investigating the story of what happened with Danny and everything going on. I showed them the paperwork that showed Fidelis was planning on canceling them for $20 and the reinstatement letter that they sent afterwards that came to my address. So, yeah, he paid his $20 like he told me he paid, and they did reinstate it from May 1st, which was one week after he died. Three, it was actually three weeks after he died because, um, yeah, it was April 9th that he died, and his insurance would have been reinstated May 1st. He called around April 1st. Because said he wants to get his medicine refilled, and they told him it's got to be $250 out of pocket. Your insurance has been canceled. 
Right. He comes home to me, says, "Why? I don't know why my insurance is canceled." He called, said, "They told him he missed a twenty-dollar payment." He right. made the payment on the phone. Being that it was after April first, they said your insurance will be reinstated after the next full month on May first. Jessica Chavez, or Rabbit, was the reporter that was investigating me. She's asked me to stop using her name in my tweets attacking CNN, saying that they were not aware of her investigation that was going on. But yet during our conversation, she said she had to run it by her, her producer, which means her bosses did know what she was investigating on. So CNN has her daddy story, but yet they don't want to touch it. Obviously, a media organization knows what their journalists are investigating. Joanne Reed has sent me her condolences on one of my tweets, and Soledad O'Brien retweeted the now this video. Mm, right. These reporters have heard of Danny's story. Of course. All right, so the now this is going to come up a little later in our, in our interview. Um, but before that, you said to me that you woke up into, I, I say woke up, I don't remember exactly how you got activated or however you phrase it, when you discovered Bernie Sanders in 2016, right? Correct. And did you hear of him before that? I, I really had not. I, I did not. And, I, and now that I've researched everything he's done, I'm surprised. <laughs> not surprised. Because, again, with the mass media the way they are. But, I mean, right from his early on as a teenager protesting the um, housing situation, it's insane that I hadn't heard of him before that. <laughs> it's actually very similar. I actually have a very similar story because I never heard of him either. And I discovered him in August of 2015. And I really consider that personally one – I really consider that sort of the milestone that transitioned me from adolescence to adulthood. And we're all we're, – I'm a little bit younger than you, not much. And that, when I discovered Bernie Sanders was when I felt like I became an adult for the first time, like I grew up for the first time. Because what he taught me, and I think it's sort of similar to what you, what I've heard you say on previous interviews, was that, you know, we have responsibilities for our own troubles. We, you know, we are responsible for ourselves. But what Bernie Sanders taught us, taught me, is that the system has a lot of responsibility. The system is really a big part of the problem. You know, we got to get money out of politics because since we don't, the system allows these horrific things to happen. All these stories that Absolutely. you were just telling me. And, and before Bernie Sanders, I was completely politically inactive. I just was completely politically asleep. I voted Democrat because my family told me to vote Democrat because supposedly they were the good guys and the Republicans were the bad guys. But I, I didn't do anything until him. So this is, this is sort of similar to you. And what I, what I, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. But, but the thing in particular that, that impressed me that I've heard from you, and I wonder if Bernie is what sort of made you come to this realization, is that I really like how you understand that, yeah, these horrible things with the companies that Fidelis did to your, to your son and to all these other people, That's horrible. I mean, it's beyond horrible. But what's even worse is the system that allows it to happen. And you seem seem to really understand that, that, yeah, we need to change Fidelis, but we really need to change our politics. Well, a lot of people came to me and said, you should sue Fidelis for wrongful death. 
I imagine, especially with all the noise I made, if I were to throw this out there and say, I'm going to shut my mouth, I'd have a pretty big, comfortable chunk of money headed at me. They'd settle out of court whether they were right or wrong, and they wouldn't care. <laughs> I am not about to accept anybody's blood money. Any money these insurance companies had, first off, was achieved the same exact way that they achieved that $20 for my son. It's paid by somebody else's pain. I'm not taking that money, first off. Second off, if it wasn't Fidelis, if he had gone through the ACA and bought MVP instead, the same exact outcome would happen because the laws are written in place so that they can do this to us. I'm not trying to get money. I'm trying to make sure they don't do this to someone else. It's not the company. It's the fact that these laws were written to allow them to do this to us. The lobbyists write these laws. The ACA itself was written by a lobbyist that is now Joe Biden's chief of staff on his campaign trail. Mm. The one that's right now screaming for the ACA to be revitalized happens to have the lobbyist that works for the insurance companies on his campaign. How is it that we as Americans don't even see the blatantly display of greed right in front of us? Obviously, this lobbyist worked for these insurance companies to make these laws so that they can save money at our health care cost. And they were propping them up as if they're idols. <laughs> they're on our campaign trail, screaming that this is what we should have. You know, <laughs> how do we not see this as a problem? That's why these laws are there, because the lobbyists put them there for their, for their people that all get money out of this whole system. Right. It's, it's, it's quite a chicken and egg thing because we have a corrupt government because they're bribed to be corrupt, which encourages more bribing, which encourages more corruption and so on. So like, how do we break that cycle? And I think the answer is right. get better people into government, which Bernie Sanders, AOC, and so on, get more people like that into government. Um, right. And, and I got to tell you, the people that are hurting the most, they're disparaged the most as well. We're all told, told don't even bother voting because if you – it doesn't matter who you vote for, whether you vote Republican or Democrat, you're going to get screwed over. And none of them are going to do anything anyway, so don't bother. Right. So where do you, where do you go? Because everything they see backs up that claim. Everything I see, I'm voting, but everything I see backs up that claim that they are not here for us. You, you mentioned the Kamala thing. <laughs> Obviously, she is not there for us, but claims to be. How do you know which ones are the wolves in sheep's clothing when they're all wolves? Yeah. They're overwhelming the Democratic primary in order to distract from the one person who would really electrify, who would really electrify electrify the people. And in fact, just as a, as a quick aside, even when the, there's currently whatever, 25 ridiculous people. And even when that's chopped in half, the debates are still going to be 10 people, so it's still going to be, you know, meaningless. Not until Absolutely. maybe February will we actually have some real debates where we actually get into more substance. When I so. saw the entire campaign trail fill up, I said, oh, look, Hillary's not running, so now it's only Bernie for a front runner, so they're going to pack it full of all sorts of people to try to drown them out. So we're basically on the same thinking on that one. Actually, I, you'll tell me if you know this. I, I was a DNC delegate for Bernie in, the, uh, in 2016 uh, for my state. And the, the superdelegates 
last time the superdelegates were allowed to vote before, not allowed to vote, that's not even true. They pretended that they vote before the convention, and then the news uses that to say, oh, well, Bernie's clearly losing because all these superdelegates <laughs> are lined up behind Hillary, but the superdelegates don't vote until the convention. Totally, yeah. And this is the only time you saw in the media all the superdelegates come out before the election, as right. in the mass that they did. And this time, you're not allowed, the superdelegates now are not allowed to vote until round two. So the news can't use them anymore to say that Hillary's in the lead. That doesn't exist anymore. But what they've done right. is they must get to round two it's at the DNC so that they can just choose their president again. So that's why they've crowded the field to dilute from Bernie and to also have people from all these states, Kamala from California, uh, Inslee is from Washington, to dilute the vote as much as possible, and then they'll drop off. So we are definitely going to get to round two. So I'm going to be, hopefully, a DNC delegate again for him. You should consider it yourself, too, because when we get to round two, it is going to be a fight. We are going to have to scare down those superdelegates if there's any chance for Bernie to win. So that's pretty far off from the uh, core subject of this of this uh, interview. But all right. Anyway, back to you. Uh, what was I saying? You were saying that the system is the problem, not the companies. And I think that is insightful. And I don't think many people understand that because our system pits people against each other. So they fight so that we don't, so we blame the other person so that we don't look up and punch and join together and punch up. And I don't think many people, I don't think many people understand that. So yeah, the insurance companies, the absolute horrors of the insurance companies of which you are a huge example of is it's like we could spend all day on horrors of the for private insurance companies. But the problem is that the government allows those horrors. That's what the problem is. It's not the yeah. horrors themselves. And it's, and it's actually, I just read a book about pensions, the same thing, just companies stealing from pensions. And it's just this book of horror stories. And I'm just like, I can't believe this. But then it's exactly, it goes back to the same thing. The government allows these companies to steal from these pensions. So... I mean, yeah. I mean, my fight is for Medicare for all, is to reform the healthcare system. But every system throughout politics is inundated with this sort of same horrific approach to life. You know, take the war complex <laughs> alone. I mean, you know, what's going on at the border? Everything really has to do with money and who pays who for what laws to get rid. Who's going to benefit from the laws financially, regardless of what happens to the life attached to it? Right. Okay, so I have one more question, and then let's move on to uh, the other topic. And that is, regarding the system allowing this horrible, these horrible things to happen, I don't need, we don't need to go into, I mean, you, you know, your son had troubles, and everybody has troubles. You know, you, you go into depth, you go, you talk about some of them on Status Quo with Jordan Chariton, which is a really good interview. Um, Thanks. I don't really know, I don't need to know, you know, what those specific troubles are. You know, you've said it and we don't need to dwell on it. But what I would like to know is how much of those troubles were caused by this terrible system? Meaning he worked four jobs, I heard you say, on, on I think, with Jordan. He worked for oh, jobs. Absolutely. 
And that's wonderful well, that he works four jobs, but it's like, why do we have a system where someone needs to work four jobs? So how did the system affect your son's life, not just in the, in the months before his death, but in the years before his death? Right. Well, we, we talked about the fact that when he moved in with his mother, you know, he started slipping even further. Um, he had gotten addicted to um, crack and cocaine. That's, yeah. It, and he went into rehab. Rehab actually really was awesome for him. He got out of rehab, and he needed health care still. On a regular basis, just like everybody that, you know, loses a job, you know, is turning jobs, you get a job, and you're no longer approved for Medicaid, so you have to go to a buy-in program, which means you've been cut, cut off from your insurance. You've been churned, I believe, is a technical term that they use for people going on and off Medicaid or any insurance. You know, on and off constantly, losing his medication, getting back on, getting back on course. It's a recovery every single time you get cut from your insurance for anybody with depression. Now, he had gotten into some legal problems because all of these addiction problems. He had some anger issues, which were controlled when he was on the medication. Like I said, he always played. He wanted to make people laugh. He was just as passionate when he got angry, <laughs> unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they were all controlled with the medication. You get kicked off, you're on your own. Then he started working um, his one job. It was for a brewery in Saratoga, I believe, or Malta. And he was just a maintenance guy. He expected it to be a full-time job. Turned out it wasn't full-time, so he had to take a second job because he had custody cases to fight. So the second job wasn't giving enough hours, so he acquired a third job and got rid of the second job. So he's only working two jobs at a time. Now, both of those jobs still wasn't making him enough money, so he then decided to work. He got a job at Saratoga Golf Course. Early on in his life, his favorite job was he worked at Oakwood Cemetery, of all places, as a groundskeeper. Hmm. And he actually even worked, had to work the ovens. And <laughs> don't want to go into any further with that, but he, he loved the job because he was always outside. Right. So when he got the job at Saratoga Golf Course, he worked there one day before he did this. And he told us all that this was his dream job. He was so happy because he was going to be outside all day and he didn't have to deal with the morbid part of what was his favorite job prior. Did you, did you understand how horrible the system is? And I don't mean the overall system, I mean the healthcare system. Did you understand how horrible the healthcare system is even before your son died? Or did your son, you know, how much did your son's death make you realize how much more corruption there is in the health insurance industry. This I, I think like almost all Americans, I see it and I understand it and I didn't connect. I wish I could have connected without having to go through the experience to make myself connect. I hope I can make other people connect. So you, I remember you said to Jordan that basically you were duped into thinking that we had the best, best health care system. Every other nation pays less per capita than we do. We've all heard Bernie say it. I've looked at the numbers, and he's not just saying it. He's right. 
They pay less than we do. They all have longer life expectancies than we do. But the fact is that they pay less and they live longer. How is that a bad thing? How is ours better than that? The only reason we have the best health care system in the world is because we have the best health finance system in the world where billionaires are profiting. It has nothing to do with the care that's received. It has to do with the money that's flowing. That's the best system they're speaking of. And we're all due to believe in they're talking about us. Right. And Medicare for All, which you are a huge supporter of, Bernie Sanders' version of Medicare for All, the only people who will make less money are the for-profit insurance industry and the price-gouging pharmaceutical industry. And Absolutely. I'm okay with that. Um, I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's switch subjects if that's okay. I would like to get into the Kamala Harris story. So you had a, a really well-done video um, with Now This, and then the Kamala Harris campaign contacted you and said, this is a great video. Can we please use it to promote Medicare for all? And then you nope, gave that's them actually a little bit wrong. So tell that story, please. How did that now Absolutely. this and then Kamala and how she tricked you? Well, I was early on, like I said, in 2016 when Bernie was cheated, I will say just like that, he was cheated. I was disappointed lost interest in a lot of politics. When this came out, I really had to re-educate myself on everything that was going on in politics. I looked up Bernie's Medicare for All bill and saw who co-sponsored. I started actually going after the people who co-sponsored to see if I could get their support. Kamala was one of those. I asked her to share Danny's story. In that video where she quotes me, I am obviously going after a non-for-profit industry. That's what I speak for in the video. I speak about Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan, not her bastardized version that supports the insurance company. She knows my position. I support Medicare for All. That's before she released her plan. Right. Then she releases her plan, and I see that it does just the opposite of what I'm advocating for. She's supporting the private for-profit industry. The 10-year fade-out is a load of crap, and we all know that. Obamacare was destroyed two years after the Republicans took control. Well, one thing I didn't know that you just told me is that, you, there, that her plan didn't exist. I thought, I thought it did exist. You, weren't, you just weren't aware of the details. But, so can you describe, uh, as best as you can, the basic yeah, I of Kamala's Medicare for All plan. Absolutely, because I had to research her plan because I had to find out what she's offering. Her basic concept is to take Medicare and spill off the Medicare as it is with the 80% coverage, no dental, no vision, no hearing, and give that to all Americans. You can either buy it through the government or... You can buy it through a private insurer that has to adhere to the government's protocols, which are not written yet. Within 10 years, she plans on fading out work-based insurance plans so that you'll be forced to go with the Medicare either through the government or through private insurers. Now, these are the Medicare Advantage programs. These are already one of the biggest predatory insurance programs out there. They target senior citizens on purpose. 
they offer plans like the Silver Sneakers Program, which most 75-year-olds with lung conditions are not looking to go to the gym and work out. Only the healthy ones go to the gym and work out. So they want the healthy ones and try to avoid the sick ones that need the care. They offer huge packages of frivolous massages, but yet not a heart transplant. Stuff that's not very essential and deny what is needed. They go out of their way to charge exorbitant amounts compared to most of the other insurance programs. Medicare is one of the worst insurance programs that are out there. And that's what he's promoting to expand. Not Medicare for all, I'm sorry. (laughs) Medicare uh, expand. Advantage? Advantage Advantage programs. Medicare Advantage programs. So let me. Worst systems out there. Let me say, people can see this for themselves. It's kamalaharris.org slash Medicare for all, where there's a dash between each word. So Medicare dash for dash all. Kamalaharris.org slash Medicare dash for dash all. Um, so as I understand it, she is getting rid of a lot of the insurance company, but only 10 years later, only after a 10 year phase. They get 10 years to stick around. Right. And the point is, is that, yeah, okay, great. So future Congresses are going to allow this to keep going. Um, that's right. Problem. And furthermore, again, the restrictions that these insurance plans are supposed to adhere to are not written yet either that she's promoting as that's what's going to fix it. Got it. Got we're going to make these insurance companies abide by these laws, but nobody knows what they are. And again, those laws are going to have to be passed by Congress, which is already filled with a bunch of representatives that have lobbyists on their page roll. There's another part of this that is actually I'm, I'm concerned about. It says, following the transition period, under my Medicare for All system, employers will have the option to provide a private Medicare plan for their employees. If somebody decides to go with the insurance plan that was provided by their employer and their employer goes out of business, they get fired, whatever, at that point they now have to find a new insurance. They're being churned they'll be without coverage for a couple of weeks, whatever it takes to get on a new plan. There is a system fault right there at the very beginning. If there's any chance you can get kicked off of coverage and not receive care, then there's a percentage of people that will be, that will die from lack of care. That's absolutely a problem. That's actually not the problem that I was thinking of. For me, an employee-based insurance plan is that companies use employer-based health care as a bludgeon to threaten their workers. Right, say that it, is it, also a point. <laughs> right, and that's my biggest concern. That's my biggest concern. And it seems like, oh, well, employees have a choice, and maybe I misunderstood some of it. But that is my biggest concern regarding employer-based insurance companies, not to mention just the whole concept of if you keep for-profit insurance industries around, then... That is just a flawed system. I mean, I understand cosmetic yeah. surgery. I'm not talking about the, that stuff. But if you keep it right. around for the core of healthcare, I think that that's, that's a the, huge red flag. The, the other problem here, which I think is the point you were trying to originally bring up with Kamala on this, is she knew exactly what plan I supported. And she knew I was not for-profit insurance industry at all. It was 100% clear that that was my intention when she shared that video. There's no way when she shared that video that she didn't know she planned on supporting a for-profit industry. 
that's that's pretty terrible. Uh, now, especially now that I know that she said, oh, that that her plan wasn't up when she asked you. And I noticed in in debate number two that Kamala Harris about ten times, literally every time she said people deserve health care, she didn't say people deserve health care. Every single time she said people deserve access to health care. Although, I'll tell you what, during that debate, I was, I was convinced she was about to use Danny's story on the debate. Oh. Right, before she, right before she got cut off. But she looked at Bernie and a couple of the other people on stage, and she's talking about it. She goes, some of you, I know I've already heard this story. Remember her saying that? No, she I goes, don't. But there's a father, and then she got cut off. Right after she got interrupted, she went into, there are people waiting, couples waiting in the ER uh, parking lot, which was a very cold, not big story, but she was trying to make a point. I think she was stumbling to come up with a new story because she changed her mind. Okay, no, I totally missed that. Okay, so... You tried to communicate with the Kamala Harris campaign and said, "This, I'm really upset that you are now using my story for what you said was Medicare for all, but what you actually mean is not Medicare for all. And so you tried right. to communicate this to the Kamala Harris campaign, and then you've made significant efforts to try and appeal to other people, and particularly to Tulsi Gabbard to try and get her to confront Kamala Harris at the debate. So can you talk Absolutely. about that? Yeah, I have utmost respect for Tulsi Gabbard during the 2016 campaign where she stepped down as co-chair because she saw the unfair treatment of Bernie Sanders. She was the only one besides Nina that was within the inner circle that's like, no, we're not doing this. I saw her attack Kamala. I know her morals. Maybe does not everybody agrees with her campaign to abolish most of this war against everybody. I'm on board. Less war is good for me. I support Bernie more so because he's the one who got me interested, but I believe she is just as valid as Bernie. I went to her because I figured she also supports Medicare for all. She supports Bernie and she supports us as people. I know that if she hears my story, I have a feeling she'll be a good champion for Medicare for all as well. I know she's already a good champion for it. I just want her help too. Who else? to tell off Kamala. <laughs> she was awesome. That was so exciting. That was like the most exciting part of the debate for me was when she said those, those few things about Kamala's record. Absolutely. So, so, so actually, I agree with you. Bernie, Har Bernie, Bernie Harris, oh my gosh. Bernie Sanders for me is uh, by far my first choice and, and, and Tulsi Gabbard is, is a very solid second for me. I would be proud to vote for either of them. Um, the fact that these tweets have blown up on her Twitter feed and her data communication manager is pretending not to see it, the fact that Kamala is pretending not to see it is just insane. I'm glad she is. I'm glad my post is still up there so people can see what she did. Hmm. It's only furthering Medicare for all and hurting her campaign, so I hope she leaves it up there for a good long time. And I have also gotten... Um, I, I've had Representative Omar reach out to me, as well as Representative uh, uh, Jayapal. Jayapal? Yeah. And to be honest, her, her House bill is actually a little better than Bernie's, 
um, because Bernie allows the extended care to fall under Medicaid rather than Medicare, whereas hers would put everybody and close that gap as well. Hmm. Bernie has also signed on to her bill. And I, I have utmost faith in Bernie that he will agree with her being that they both co-wrote Bernie's bill anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure she, she helped Bernie write that Bernie's bill. She okay. saw an error in her in their original plan and fixed it with her new plan. Besides Tulsi, I don't believe any other candidate will implement real Medicare for all. I think that's probably right. I think that's probably right. Uh, okay, so... Is there anything else about Bernie's bills or any anything else that we've missed that you wanted to talk about before we get to this final subject? Um, yeah, I think we've got it pretty much covered. Um, I know a lot of people that a lot of people were probably not aware of Representative Jay Powell's bill. Um, very important. Very. <laughs> I can't express the importance of that small little gap. It's not affecting me right now. Well, it could be. I've got a heart condition. That's definitely long-term care. But the long-term care is definitely an issue because when you get kicked to Medicaid, it is definitely lesser care that's available. Now, it's inferior care compared to what's available for others. Trust Do you me, know? I know. <laughs> what is the fun? I mean, Medicaid is for people who can't afford it. But when we go to Medicare for all, obviously everybody can afford it. So what is... I actually guess I don't understand the role of Medicaid in a system where you don't have to pay for health care. Because Medicare doesn't right now um, cover long-term care, which is what the elderly need most, what the disabled Um, need most, you um, know, and they're, they're the ones who, now there's wealthy people who are disabled. They can afford the better care with the Medicare system that they'll be on, but if they're under income, then they'll, they'll, they'll be quick to the Medicaid. Okay, so this is a, this is, this is a flaw in Bernie's bill. Bernie's plan. Okay, I understand. Yep. I understand. Yeah. But not one that's not remedied. Right. So hopefully, so hopefully that'll actually not be an issue in the final. Uh, I believe that they, I believe that they combined saw this problem and are addressing it with that. Good. Okay. Now, the other support that I think you're probably trying to get out of me that Amy for the people, Amy Viella, yes, she has also come to my support. I started classes with um, an advocacy group for Medicare for All called Healthcare Now. They teach you how to better become an advocate and to better tell your story. Again, I'm a very simple person. My whole life, I've been kicked around. I'm not... I moved out to the country to get away from people. I don't speak my mind. I run from my problems because it's better than fighting people who aren't going to listen. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not meant for public speaking, but here I am. Amy and I are planning a... Well, first I was planning to do a protest by myself at CNN. The obvious bias against Bernie. I see them putting him on charts where he's in fourth place, but his numbers show him in second. You know, they'll talk about how Joe Biden's in first and Kamala and Elizabeth Warren are competing for, for third and not mm-hmm. mention who's in second. Right. 
So I plan on doing a rally out in front of their front doors, and I asked Amy Fiella if she had any advice for me on my first rally. Well, she decided that I'm thinking too small. She mm-hmm. invited Alexander Cortez. Oh, today wow. I invited I invited Nina Turner today, and she said she'll be there. She's in Washington on that day. Wow. She's bringing in, she's bringing in Bernie Sanders, if she can get him. Huh. And we're bringing in other parents. We're getting posters made up of parents that lost their children. Um, we're getting other stories. We are having a huge rally on Washington, D.C. for Medicare for All, and we're bringing in all the big players. Where specifically? There's only been one conversation so far on this between me and Amy, but, well, we've been communicating through Twitter, you know, but there are no details yet as far as when Amy's doing all the fundraising and the organizing for me. Wow. Because one of the things that I've been very scared of throughout all of this, when we first started, I had a GoFundMe account to pay for Danny's services. It was, we went as the least expensive path as we could because we don't have any money. It was going to cost us $6,200 in total for services. Well, the GoFundMe had reached around $4,000 when my viral tweet was going. I was terrified that people from my viral tweet would find out about the GoFundMe and start donating. I did not want to make a single penny off of this. There is no way I'm allowing people to say that I'm doing this for money or any other motivation other than to save other people's lives. At the end of yep. the day, I'm still going to be poor. And I'm okay with that. Wow. Well, just briefly, let's say let's say Amy's story. I only know the very basics. Maybe you know more. But Amy uh, ran for office, and she was inspired to run for office because her daughter died because of the Absolutely. private insurance health care system. As best I understand it, she was she was sick, and she went to an emergency room, and they yep. said, okay, well, what's your insurance? And she said, I, I, I think she was between jobs and she didn't have any. But it turned yep. out that she actually did and she didn't realize it. Yep. And so they sent her away and said, come back, you know, as soon as you have your insurance or whatever. Well, and it gets a little died. bit worse than that. It gets and, a little worse than that. Please. When she showed up, she was complaining about signs that pointed toward the blood clot. Um, she had pain and, and swelling in her right knee. Um, she was on birth control, and she had a chance for sickle cell disease. And she told them at the ER that she was driving to her mother's house, and that it was a 22-hour drive. <laughs> so every single sign <laughs> was there in front of the staff. And, and that, sitting uh, in, the same, and, in the same position for 22 hours, if you have a clot, then that just makes it worse because it can't circulate. Absolutely. So they were given all the signs, but yes, they were told. She and I believe Amy told me. Again, I, I'm just going by memory. I don't want to say she said something that she didn't actually say, but I believe what she told me was that that she told the ER staff that she wanted certain tests run, but because of her insurance situation, they decided to just pawn her off and push her out the door, saying, "You know what." You don't have the insurance. Let's not run those tests. I think you'll be okay. I believe that's what Amy told me. Which is that, I mean, that's why she became active. So Amy went through the same thing that you're going through. Different, obviously different horrors, but same for-profit horrors. 
I think it's wonderful how both of you are probably two of the most prominent people who have taken the deaths of their children and used that energy to help all children, basically. I think that's a pretty noble thing to do. Um, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I, I'm doing it because I have no choice. My son laid this in my lap. He knew I was a political geek. I'm not a religious person, but I believe we all have spirits. And there is no way that this would have taken the energy it did on its own, in my belief. I believe absolutely that Danny has every bit of help in this. He, he, he loves his children. He missed them. He couldn't live without them. He's shown us that. Now we're going to take care of the rest. That's great. And hopefully his kids will have a better, you know, a better system. So where can people find out more about this protest or when will it? Um, um, right now, all of the organization I said I put it in Amy's hands because I don't want people staking them out for anything more than change. Um, she's done this before. She knows what she's doing. And she's going to do all the organizing. But right now, my Twitter feed is where I've done all of my work. And that's probably the best way place to go if you want to find out what's going on. Scott Desno, D-N-S-O. No, D- Scott, D-E-S-N-O. Correct. Right. And I assume you're going to be speaking at this? You, of course, you have to be speaking at this, right? Absolutely. Um, Amy, Amy's original idea, and I don't know where we're changing it from here, but her thought is her and I opening by speaking and then having um, other speakers besides other parents and the heavy hitters such as Bernie Sanders, Nina Turner, um, Representative Omar, Representative Jayapal, and hopefully Alexandra Cortez. Amy says she can definitely get her in. Wow. That's great. That's great. So so Amy said this week is being being up today's what, Thursday Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. This week she's gonna be reaching out to her contacts. So There'll definitely be more to come, and I will keep everybody posted. All right. Uh, I think this has been uh, just as unique as I was hoping it was going to be. Uh, and I'm sorry for what your family is going through, but I'm really glad that you're using it for a good cause. So thanks for coming and on. The I, I can't thank – no, thank you for having me on. I mean, this is so important, not just to me, but it needs to be more important to everyone. And I will do whatever I have to to make sure people understand that. Great. Yeah. Scott, thank you. Uh, I will see you back on Twitter, uh, and best of luck to you and your family and with the protest. Thank you, definitely. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Music for this show is done by Rec Tech. You can find Rec Tech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. Thank you for listening to the show. See you next time on Historically.